0: It's November 20th, 2011, and this is The Candid Frame. Photography is a technical process. And to get good at it, you need a fundamental understanding of exposure, color, and composition. You have to understand and control the camera in order to produce consistent results. But photography is more than technical competency. It's about being able to communicate a feeling, an idea, and a single image. In his book, The Passionate Photographer, Steve Simon shares his personal journey as a photographer and reveals how a photographer can discover their own unique voice. It's about making a choice to go out and shoot. It's about staying committed to a subject or a setting and fully exhausting all the possibilities. It's about making the choice to shake things up and challenge oneself and not stay in the comfort zone. His book and our conversation reminded me of the importance of striving for more. And I hope that this interview leaves you similarly inspired. So sit back and enjoy our conversation Steveson Well, Steve, welcome to the candid frame. It's uh, uh, exciting to have the opportunity to speak uh, to speak with you today.
1: well the the excitement uh, is shared by me. it's It's great to be a, a part of your great uh, programs that you've done over the the last I guess it's been a couple of years now.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's about five years in February.
1: Wow,', it's wow. been a
0: long time. But I've been I've been following you a little bit as a result of your presence on uh, on uh, this week in photography. Um, but uh, it wasn't until I received a copy of your book that it really got it a, a chance to immerse myself in in your story as as a photographer. And you started as as a photojournalist, and now I think you identify primarily as as a documentary photographer. But real briefly, just tell us about your beginnings. As a photographer, and then we'll get more into some of the uh, meteor stuff of this conversation.
1: <laughs> sure, I think uh, you know my beginnings uh, is probably similar to a lot of the listeners out there. I I got in kind of young. I was, I think, I was probably around ten or eleven years old, and kind of fascinated by photography. Had a little little darkroom set up in the apartment I lived in uh, with my parents and my sister in Montreal. You know kind of commandeered that second bathroom, and uh, eventually it was it was all my own for darkroom work, but you know it was from the earliest time uh, you know there was nothing more kind of enjoyable and satisfying to me than to kind of you know run around wherever I was and just take pictures, uh, I guess starting out with street photography um, and and you know the excitement uh, that I felt when I first picked up a camera. Uh, probably is even um, greater now. You know, I've never looked back. I've been doing this such a long time, and I think as as you and and a lot of the listeners would identify with, it's just wonderful to find a pursuit that can keep you uh, passionate and and exciting. You know, your entire life.
0: But one of the things that I really like about your book, The Passion of Photographer, is that it really. Strikes a wonderful balance between the importance of technique and the importance of depe- developing one's own personal process as a photographer. And I think so much of what's out there today, be it in a book or in a video or even in a classroom, classroom setting, is that there's so much of an emphasis on technique that, that in order to make great photographs, you need to have a certain type of camera a certain understanding of exposure and 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 such but talk about the fact that that is certainly important but how developing one's own personal process is really the means by which you are able to make better and better photographs
1: yeah there there's no question i mean photography is is so many things you know it's it's physical you know you're out in the world you've got this it's cerebral. You, it's technical. You've got this, you know, machine, this tool that you're using, and I think, um, you know, in my experience, it, it took me a while to realize that, you know, that tool needs to be kind of mastered. It needs to be familiar, and it needs to fade to the background in order, you know, speaking for myself, um, to do my best work um, as a as an educator because I do a lot of workshops and teaching. You know, I do find that uh the camera often gets in the way of the person's kind of creative pursuit, so I think one of the the main concepts, and early on in the book, I talk about going through a volume of work because I feel, and in my experience, you have to go through that volume of work just to 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 allow the equipment to fade a little bit to the background, so that you can really concentrate on what's important. And I think a lot of photographers will tell you that uh, whatever the tool that they're given, you know, they'll find a way to make interesting and and strong images. It doesn't matter how many megapixels or 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 what it is that you're using. Um, really, in the end, what counts is is how you use it and kind of where you point it and what what your interests are in terms of, of of what you want to try and say with your photography. Yeah.
0: I mean, you start off the book talking about the importance of a personal project, and this is a topic I've often revisited uh, over the, the life of the show, but I thought what you brought to the table with respect to that was the whole idea that, that a photographer needs to make a commitment to a subject matter, whether it's a portrait or whether it's a, a, a story that they're trying to tell, Because it forces them to really invest themselves photographically in a way that doesn't happen if you're just making a couple of shots and and moving on. And I thought that was a real insightful way of being able to not only tell people how to sort of approach a subject, but how they can develop their own aesthetic and have an understanding of of how composition works and how that practice allows them to become a more consistent and better photographer.
1: Yeah, no question. I I think um, when you find something that motivates you to focus on that one project or subject, whatever it might be, and really there's there's an unlimited range of, of subject matter out there as we know, by doing that and starting to kind of peel the onion, if you will, and starting to become familiar and going back and going back, in my experience, things change. You know, what you see begins to change. I mean, you've you've already photographed and you've already, you know, have some material from the beginning of the project. So you don't need to make those pictures again. So when you see them, you kind of ignore them and you keep looking for something else And it's a bit of a mystical process in some ways, but eventually, um, you find your place, you find yourself in a place sort of creatively, visually that you, you could never have predicted at the beginning because you have to go through the process of getting there. And this sort of repetition and familiarity. Um, you know, can also be a bit of a, a block for you too. You have to fight your way past it. And you know, I give some examples of just quiet little projects where, you know, sometimes you need to just kind of break away and come back later, come back the next day. But if you don't give up on it and are persistent, and 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 in my experience too, when you get some images that you feel are strong, you know, that just gives you more motivation to come back the next day and just add to that. It's it's a cumulative process, and also in my experience, you know, the more time you put in, often uh, the better the results are. And of course, you know, sometimes you reach a saturation point, or you reach a point where you know what I'm, I think I've got it, or you know, I'm not as interested. I've, I've, and that's when you you kind of move on.
0: Yeah. Well, let, let's talk about how people kind of figure out what a project is they look at some of your work uh which is largely rooted in in large documentary projects or photojournalism they can look at their own lives and go you know I I never I don't have the time or the resources to be able to do that but you know you also mention in in the book about the smaller projects that people can work on like spending some time in a local laundromat for example is one of those examples that you cite so what do you suggest for people to think about and consider when trying to pick a project that's manageable for them and whatever limitations they have in terms of time or, or access.
1: Yeah, well, I think, you know, you said it that uh, access is is really important. And, and I think that uh, when it comes to things you're passionate about, if you start to sort of, you know, really think about it in terms of your photography, and, and often it comes down to, um, particularly with, uh, hobbyists or amateur photographers, you know, family. They, they want to document their family. Well, you know, that's a good start. That might be something you might be interested in if you have children, et cetera. But you can think in terms of, of a project that isn't just necessarily recording kind of your experience or your life, but you can also maybe, you know, be a little, try and be a little more objective and try and come at it from a, a different perspective because, you know, as we know in photography, uh, there's a long history of, of, you know, well-known photographers uh, sharing their own little family albums, um, and those images becoming iconic, you know, be it, uh, Eugene Smith's Walk Through Paradise Garden, which were his kids, and Elliot Erwitt uh, has many shots of his children. Sally Mann, of course, her, her children are a, a big part of her work. Um, so you know it, it's just finding finding things that you know you' you have access to that you're interested in uh, places that you like to go you know maybe there's um, some opportunity there that uh, there might be some projects that uh, exist there but um, you know access is really important I think a lot of a lot of us feel that you know i I have that dream trip that I want to take you know to this far off place and um, the reality is um, if you can make Strong images of places that are maybe not as exotic to you, and if you force yourself to to at least give that a try when you get to those exotic places, then your images will you know add a lot I mean they'll be extraordinary as opposed to just fantastic
0: well let's say that that I, I'm a photographer and I say, okay, I want to document my Family, or I have some friends that are I'm involved with in some sort of bowling league or something, and I want to start using that because I have access to it. It, It's something that's familiar to me. It's something that I'm passionate about, and I I would suspect that initially there would be some experience of frustration because you would look at the I would look at the work and go Yeah, but these are just kind of the, the snapshots. These are the pictures I'm always making. They're nothing like the stuff that Steve Simon has done or or what other photographers has done. So, what would be the suggestions for being able something to do something with material like that that's very familiar, but sort of elevate it to a level that's that's much more dynamic and challenging and satisfying as a photographer?
1: Yeah, well, I, I think that um, if you look at it again, uh, maybe a little bit objectively. I mean, you're so close to it; it might be the world that you inhabit. You know, use the bowling league as an example. I mean, you can certainly approach it from a a documentary, you know, point of view. Um, But, you know, the people in your life that are important to you, um portrait projects can be very powerful as well and and just taking those people and photographing them in perhaps a consistent way be it uh, if you're into uh kind of studio work or location studio work you can take some some equipment and and uh you know arrange to to do portraits of you know your friends or or the people around you um in in kind of an objective way kind of you know a little bit like uh, Richard Avedon on his plain white background uh, and then decide how you're going to um, uh, what you're going to accompany those images with. You might ask your friends to you know describe themselves in a in a sentence or a paragraph or you know it's really up to you as to how you can approach it. Um, but basically, I'm saying that you can take something so familiar and and approach it um, you know as a project that uh, because photography is is such a universal language and you know, in my experience, I'm not as interested in photographing celebrity as I am in just real life. But when I approach people in real life, they often don't understand. You know, why you'd want to take a picture of me because you know I don't know them. I'm not famous. Uh, you know, what's the point? So when you describe to them, you know, what your ideas or that you legitimately are interested in in photographing them, ultimately, you know, they're they're. In my experience, very flattered and 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 want to participate um, in such a thing and when you see images um, of of people if they 're strong uh, they 're compelling because we 're human beings, and we react to the portrait for example as as one possibility
0: and I think one of the things that you that you stress is completely exhausting all the possibilities of a subject matter, which I think is probably a good place for people to start. You have an example in the book where you photographed um, a location where they have this humongous sculpture of a cow (laughs) and you have dozens of pictures of that, but you're using different focal lengths, different perspectives. And in certain images, the cow is a very small element in the frame and in other shots, you know, it, you only see a portion of it in, in relation to another figure. And I thought that that was a wonderful example of how there are almost unlimited possibilities when you're photographing a subject. And If you take that same approach for any other subject matter, that's when you get to discover what's really possible and how to more effectively use the choices of what to include and exclude in the frame to create a photograph that really has impact but also helps to convey the story or the feeling that you want to express as a photographer.
1: Yeah, certainly uh, you know, I'm when I talk about volume, I sort of I sort of add to that uh idea uh this compositional dance, and by that I mean um you really want to be concentrating on your subject, eye to the viewfinder and see what it looks like from various perspectives. And it's digital, it doesn't cost us any more. I say shoot a little more, move in a little closer, walk around your subject again, eye to the viewfinder, see how things look you know through your viewfinder, as you move around, and uh, you know that just a a, a few millimeters change uh, will will change the relationships of the elements inside you know within the frame so you can move things around so it's it's a matter of millimeters and it's also a matter of discovery and as you go through this volume of work moving around, seeing what things look like um, eventually um You'll, you'll sort of shortcut to those strong images, um, because of your experience in, in doing this. So, you know, I, I use examples where, uh, you know, sometimes if I took 28 frames, you know, in the end I have 28 to choose from. But if I pushed it and worked a little harder and I shot 47 frames, well, I've got more to choose from. And sometimes the best image is frame number 41. And I never would have got to it had I stopped early. So I'm really talking a little bit about a work ethic. And I'm really talking about shooting more but being a little more selective too. Choosing, choosing situations and subjects that have great visual potential and really exploring them to the fullest. And and if you have that kind of, in my experience, that kind of uh, sort of process will lead you to stronger work ultimately.
0: Is is that process how you get through those moments where you're shooting something and you say you've shot 12 frames and you're feeling like this isn't working and <laughs> you have that urge to be able to say, okay, screw it, I'm going to move on to something else. Does, how does that, does that process of continuing to shoot despite those feelings, is that the way you get through it? Or are there times where you just go, this is a wash and I'm wasting time here?
1: Well, you know, as a professional, um, you know, sometimes you just don't have that option. I mean, you have to make things work. So, um, you know, I describe a couple of situations where, you know, if things are not really working, and believe me, they, they don't always work out, uh, as well as I'd like. As a matter of fact, whenever I arrive at a situation or a, an assignment, I, I kind of have this pre-visualization often. Um, as to what it might or potentially could be. Um, and, you know, mostly it doesn't really live up to that, but I'm always pushing, you know, for that grand slam. Um, but if things are not working out, um, one of the pieces of, of advice I received uh, a few years ago when I was traveling in Japan was this uh, wise man said that when you're dealing with a situation and a problem and it, it's just, you've, you've tried to solve it, you've racked your brain, it's, it's not happening, stop go back to the beginning and try a completely different way around the problem. And I sort of took that, even though we weren't necessarily talking about photography, um, if I'm in a portrait situation and, and things just aren't really clicking, if you will, I might just stop and say, okay, uh, maybe we need to change location. If we're outside, maybe we'll go inside. If we're inside, maybe we'll go outside and just try something completely different. And, and in my experience, if you can get past that sort of point of where you're really not sure, it, it buys you some time and brings you into a fresh environment. And sometimes, you know, that will be the place where, where things start to happen. And, and other times, you know, you just have to fight your way through it and just, and just eventually things work work out I mean you can 't get blood from a stone, no doubt, and sometimes you know with experience, you realize that you know what you know for whatever reasons, this is not happening the way it should uh, gotta go to a plan b and that 's just what you do. You know the process is such that you know photography and 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 images are are everywhere, so it 's just a question of uh, going out there and and staking your claim to whatever's happening. Yeah.
0: One of the things you emphasize is the idea of being a good editor of your own work. And I think that there's, there's two parts to that. One is sort of shooting with the edit in mind,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
0: being able, making sure that you're producing enough diversity of material that you can actually make a good edit of it. And the other pro- process is, is learning how to look at your images and be able to do, to determine which ones work and, and don't work. And, and, and being able to s- sort of dispassionately sort of separate yourself from that. So, uh, so, can you talk about both sides of that, of that coin?
1: Yeah. I mean, I always want to have a hard time editing as much as I hate it when I have a hard time editing. By that, I mean, you know, I want to be able to sort of, Look at the material and and say you know what uh, this is good but I kind of like this one too I mean those are the 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 good edits where you know you're struggling a little bit but it's kind of a good struggle because you've got a lot of stuff um, so the process that I you know because I tend to shoot a little bit more maybe than than some would um, mainly because too, i I'm often very moment driven and I want to capture that moment and I know that sometimes. Um, I don't know when that moment is. And when I'm in that photographic zone and I'm just shooting and everything melts away and I'm just sort of concentrating and triggering the shutter kind of on impulse, I'm shooting a lot. And uh, when it comes to the edit, you know, that's when um, I'm going to spend some time. I spend probably more time editing sometimes than I do during the actual, actual shoot. And the editing process eventually, you know, becomes almost impossible because as much as you're so you're so close to the situation. You were there. And and even after all these years, I sometimes have difficulty separating myself from the experience when I'm looking because really the visual needs to communicate everything. You were there. You've got those attached emotions to to the image that you're looking at. So it's, it's hard even for me after all these years to disassociate myself. And sometimes, and that's why I think we all need help editing. We all need an objective uh, sort of disconnected uh, set of eyes that could articulate to us what they're seeing and what they're not seeing, and that can help us, you know, make those decisions. Um, but the, the great ones, you know, the great pictures are the easiest. I mean, they're, they're no-brainers. When you get that really special, amazing image, image I mean, that's, it's exciting. That's what we're going for every time. I, you know, in baseball analogy, that's the grand slam. But in reality, in my photographic reality, those grand slams do not happen very often, uh, sadly. I'm, every time I go out with my camera, I'm hoping that I'll get one. But the reality is, um, you know, as you get experience, you raise your bar and your expectation of what you're, you're going to come back with. And, uh, you know, it, it just doesn't happen. I mean, what are the odds that you're going to be in the right place at the right time with the right lens, you know, with the right light at the right moment? And, and capture that image. Yeah. And again, the more time you put in, you increase the odds. I, I think it was, uh, uh, you interviewed Jay Mizell. I, I, he may not be the first one to say it, but the, the harder you work, the luckier you get. And, and I think that's true. Yeah.
0: One of the traps of being a photographer is that at some point you get to be pretty good. You make enough images and you're able to produce fairly consistent results. And it can be a tendency to get really comfortable with repeating the same images sort of over and over again. And then, and particularly when, you, if you're getting paid or have an assignment, you know that there are the safe images that you can make that, that will allow you to fulfill the demands of your client or something like that. So how do you get out of that trap and really push yourself, particularly when it involves going into unfamiliar territory, where it means being uncomfortable, where it means risking failure.
1: Yeah, I, I talk about that quite a bit in the book, and that is to to get outside your comfort zone. And and we all know what that comfort zone is. And sometimes, you know, it can be obvious to you if you kind of look back at your work and you just look and say, you know, I've been, I tend to I tend to shoot from a certain kind of uh, lens to subject distance. I, I stand away or I, I never seem to crouch down. I'm always kind of at eye level. I mean, those are comfort zones that I think I'm always having to push myself out of and remind myself that I've got to keep moving around. I've got to keep pushing it because, you know, in 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 a pursuit like photography, what what I particularly love about it is that you can always get better. And some of my, you know, photographic heroes are doing their best work in their 60s and 70s, and I think isn't it, uh, you know, James Izell, he's he's 80 now, I think. It's amazing. He doesn't look it. Um, but you know, your best work is kind of always ahead of you. I think in, if you look in other forms of creativity, like music, for example, you might argue that, you know, Paul McCartney did his best work in his twenties, uh, although he certainly have a, had a long career, but in the visual arts in my, in my opinion, um, I'm seeing some of the best work, uh, come out, you know, later on. So that You know, I I don't think I'm kidding myself. I believe it, and that keeps me motivated, and that keeps me wanting to push out of my comfort zone, and that's why I talk about in the book the personal project being the vehicle to really push you to new heights because, as you mentioned, when you're working for a client, there's a certain expectation and and there's a certain kind of uh, bar that needs to be set in terms of what you deliver. And you know, sometimes you know, better to play it safe depending on the assignment. But when you're doing the kind of work that you want to do, that you would love people to pay you to do, um, there are no limits, and you can take chances, and you can, you know, try things, and that's how you learn. You learn by, you know, risking failure, getting out of the comfort zone, making mistakes, and uh, and learning from them, and maybe hopefully even going back and and fixing those mistakes.
0: You talk about approaching strangers and how a lot of people have a desire to be able to do that. And you talk about different approaches, but w- there's an image that you have in, in, in your book of a woman at a cafe and you shot it with a wide angle lens. And so you, you see the counter sort of receding into the background and oh, yeah. you talk about going in there and saying, um, I, w- I want to make photographs of you, uh, of these various people in there and that you just wanted them to sort of be natural. And after a while they just sort of, forgot you were there talk about that because a lot of people would think that you know people are going to be self-conscious that they're going to be very very uncomfortable in front of the camera and you're not going to get something natural but here you are a perfect stranger walking into this place saying i want to make photographs of you people and then you just start (laughs) doing it yet it comes off as if they weren't even aware that you were there
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, again, it comes. It, it, it. In my experience, it's that investment in time. So, for instance, when I walked into that little cafe in in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and I remember it. uh, You know, there's three people there. It's a tiny little place. You you will not go unnoticed. I always have my camera on my neck. I never, you know, hide the fact that I'm a photographer. At least for the majority of my shooting. Unless there's a specific purpose. So I walk in and I see this scene and I'm working on this project and I kind of, you know, sort of introduce myself and tell them what I'm doing and talk for a while. And what you described is true. Uh, people are self-conscious and they're a little, you know, they're laughing and whatever if they've allowed me to stay and, and do some, sh- some shooting. But I know that if I, you know, spend a little bit more time and, and, and take more time, eventually, um, you know, the novelty of the stranger with a camera wears off, and that's when the authentic moments uh, reveal themselves, and I'm there to capture them. I mean, a lot of it is just investing in time, and a lot of people are not willing to take that time. It's slowing down, being patient. And, uh, and I'm not really a patient person, uh, but I do know that, Patients will deliver the the grand slams. If I'm able to put in the time, I will. I will sometimes get something, you know, what I consider to be, you know, ex- extraordinary. And 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 that time is well spent, and that just gives me the motivation to to put in the time uh, later on. There are no guarantees for this kind of photography because I'm not setting it up. I'm not uh, orchestrating it. That's a whole other area. Mm-hmm. But I do know from my experience that when I put in the time and. And if, if baseball players hit 3 out of 10, I keep using the baseball analogy. I'm not really a baseball fan, but, uh, <laughs> but if they hit 3 out of 10, they're making millions of dollars and they're famous. And photographers, it's a bit of a numbers game too. You've got to be there. You've got to, to shoot. And with experience, you start to put yourself in the right position at the right um, you know, distance and the, the right composition, etc. And, and that's the process that will you know, take you there.
0: There are some times where you're not approaching people, where you're not telling them, can I make your photograph or explaining why, and you just make the photograph. So how do you decide between making an approach where you engage someone and when do you just start making the photographs?
1: Yeah, I tend to shoot with a wide lens. So when I come up to something, you know, I'm usually like right there and people notice me. I always try and, you know, if I see a moment, I try and capture it where they're they're not necessarily aware of me, but because I'm working so close, often they are. So occasionally I might just say, "Well, you know, don't worry about me. Just keep doing what you're doing." And and that's often enough, and they they will. And I can just capture what I what it is that I saw in the first place. Other times they're going to want more information, and uh, you know I'll talk to them and and see if I can get permission. Um, once you have access, uh, access is everything, and then I can go go around and move around and and get the image that I want, and that's how. In the diner, I was able to move in, you know, close enough to get the image that I wanted. It was a process. It, I wouldn't have been able to walk in and take that picture, but maybe a half an hour later, I was able to get that that image. But you know, it is you know, you've heard it before. You may have said it before. It's better to uh, uh, beg forgiveness than ask permission. Um, my heart's in the right place. My motivation is in the right place. So when I see something and I want to take it, and it's in a it's a moment. I try not to hesitate because in my experience, um, when I hesitate, the moment is gone, you know, and and especially when we're talking moments. And the other thing, too, is I've learned that even though I'm basically a shy person, uh, with experience going through the volume of work, I have to boldly go to my camera position to make the strongest image, and that often means moving in a lot closer than then people are comfortable. And again, that's getting out of your comfort zone.
0: Yeah, There's there's a pair of photographs in there, and I think it happens in a car- carnival. There's a young couple, and I think there's sort of like a carnival game in the background. Oh, yes. And yes. Uh, the initial shot is them sort of half an arm's length from each other. And mm-hmm. then in the next image, she's embracing him, and he has his arm one arm around her, and then one arm is dangling at the side and yeah. i looked at the initial image and i thought oh that's a good image and then i see the second image and i want oh my god that's so much <laughs> that's a that, that's even better but i i'm thinking there's a temptation there to you get that initial shot and you walk away because you don't want to get caught taking the picture you don't want a confrontation or you don't want to intrude but waiting and continuing to shoot gave you a much better photograph. So how do you sort of contend with those feelings that can come up when you're photographing someone, when you know they're not aware of them, and there's sort of this intimate thing happening in front of you that you know you want to capture?
1: Yeah, I I, I do talk a lot about the idea of sort of instinct and intuition sort of being your guide. In my experience, though, when I see something, especially something that I think is, you know, a little better than my ordinary uh, scene that I'm looking at in the viewfinder, I don't want to let it go until it goes away, or they look at me and say, what are you doing, or uh, the light goes, or I have to go. So I I talk about the idea of not giving up on the magic. And by magic, I mean, and I think we all can can, can relate to our own photographic magic, where we were in a situation where the light was just incredible, or the the place was just amazing, or the people, or the moment. When you're in those situations, um, and it took me, you know, a while to learn this, uh, don't give up on it. So, you know, you take a shot, but you you're you're in the moment. You're shooting. You're not editing while you're doing it. You're you're just you just keep shooting it, and and. And if you're able to, you do. And, and if, if you, if the moment goes, well, then, then it's time to, to, to go, to go back. But this whole sort of compositional dance and the work ethic means that you just want to keep shooting as much as possible and edit later and, and see what happens later. You try not to get too excited in the field. You want, especially if you're, you know, the, the more exciting the, the subject matter is sometimes. Um, the more difficult it is to maintain your concentration. And the irony is, in my experience, that sometimes the most exciting subjects end up, you come back um, and you're disappointed because you know that was an amazing situation. Um, and you come back disappointed because you weren't doing the things, and I talk about it in in step four, which is concentration. You need to maintain your concentration, Particularly when you're in that exotic place with all the stuff that's going on because I think too often um, with less experienced photographers, they're kind of overwhelmed by this incredible stuff and they're just sort of taking the picture as opposed to kind of making it by concentrating and do all doing all the things they know will lead them to the strongest possible composition, moving in closer, moving around and seeing what the best possible, you know, Places to take the shot.
0: Yeah, because I can can imagine people hear you saying, "Take a lot of pictures," and there can be this tendency to just, you know, spray and pray, and just shoot a lot of pictures, hoping that you get something. And then there's the another approach where you are making a lot of images, but you're systematically and carefully refining your frame, moving closer, moving back, anticipating what's what's coming next and i think that those are two distinctive ways the latter being much more successful in being able to achieve that shot when you so that you, when you look back at that of those images and you're making the edit that you have that moment that actually works rather than just depending on you know a 12 frame burst rate to 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 provide you the shot
1: oh yeah of course i'm definitely talking about that i'm when i'd say shoot a lot i don't mean you know keep your finger uh, on the continuous fast burst i 'm saying you know shooting as you go, moving and shooting and moving, looking from different angles and seeing and and just maybe triggering on impulse sometimes when things are happening that are kind of out of your control um, again, the more your eyes to the viewfinder, the less you 're going to miss and and the more apt you are to to capture what it is, especially when it 's people, be it portraiture or just life in general that you're aiming your camera at Uh, but it's not a question because you know as as even sports photographers will tell you that uh, and of course now we've got you know as faster frame rates than we've ever had but you know a, a good sports photographer knows that sometimes that peak moment is lost between the frames you know when when the camera's automatically you know going at five frames or seven frames per second so, you want to kind of learn to trigger for that peak moment and and that comes with experience too you know, you 're going to miss it, but with digital, the beauty is you can kind of check and 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 know quite quickly whether or not um, your your timing is good and you can adjust accordingly
0: yeah A good number of your images are are black and white, and can you speak as to why you choose to sh- shoot something in black and white despite the fact you are shooting digital and therefore? Shooting your original files in color?
1: Yeah, I tend to kind of look at uh, the subject matter and decide whether or not um, I want to shoot in color or black and white. Um, in my, you know, in, in sort of my uh, opinion, uh, black and white tends to cut to the content. You know, it, you don't have the distraction of color. Actually, color can be very difficult to do, and some of the best. Color photographs, in my opinion, are very monochromatic. You know, and that's why a lot of us decide that if we're going to shoot color, we're going to go during the golden glow of late afternoon or early morning when color becomes less distracting because it's all bathed in this sort of warm golden light. And though there are different colors, there, there's the overpowering warmth of this glow that tends to you know, de-emphasize the distractions of color. And even when I'm shooting color sometimes, now with the digital darkroom, I could kind of desaturate certain colors. Um, uh, But black and white for me, um, I sort of grew up on black and white. I've loved black and white. And uh, even before digital, you still saw a color world through the viewfinder. So you had to kind of adjust the mindset when you're shooting black and white. Um, you know, certain subject matter, like when I documented the um, Republican convention here in New York in 2004, there was so much, you know, the the red of, of the Republican convention that it was overpowering a lot of the content of the image. I knew right away that I was going to shoot in black and white. Um, so so it's it's kind of a decision I, I kind of make beforehand. Um, but there are times, you know, pragmatically, digitally speaking, when, uh, you know, color noise can be very… Uh, not very um, nice. So, you know, sometimes you might want to convert it to black and white because you can't nail the color. But that's that's changing a lot because the equipment now is is, is just so good that uh, there aren't excuses.
0: And I'm assuming that you're converting the images to black and white in, in post. Um, but what are some of the other changes that you make? I know that you come from a photojournalism background, which keeps things to a minimum. But now that you're doing more... Um, so documentary work. Do you still sort of adhere to the tenets of traditional newspaper or magazine photojournalism?
1: Uh, yeah, I do. I mean, I I consider myself to be a documentary photographer, and I I think the difference between kind of photojournalism and documentary is is just that uh, photojournalism tends to to have an audience a little bit more because. It's it's images that are, that are being disseminated, uh, you know, in in newspapers, magazines, uh, web newspapers, web magazines, and documentary projects often are longer term, and they're. Ultimately released, you know, as books or exhibitions, etc. But um, yeah, I, I don't spend much time, or I spend the minimum time on the computer as possible. I'm I'm always trying to make the ultimate capture. I'm looking at my histogram. I'm exposing to the right. I'm trying to keep my ISO down, but I'm not afraid to go to higher ISOs with my Nikon's because I know how how great they can be even at really high ISOs. But I, I generally will. You know, I sometimes convert things to black and white. I'll play with the tones, but I'm not going to move pixels around, nor am I going to necessarily create an image that wasn't there when I, when I was there photographing it.
0: You call your book The Passionate Photographer, and I think that a lot of people describe their affinity for photography with using that word. What does that word mean to you with respect to your own, your own work?
1: Well, I think that for me, um, you know, photography kind of has been my best friend <laughs> since the beginning, and I think that sometimes, you know, passion uh, can get in the way uh, of of other things in life that are equally important. So, uh, you know, you got to find a balance a little bit. And uh, um, but for me, uh, you know, being a passionate photographer means um, just needing to be out there and photographing. And, you know, for whatever reasons, but at the same time, um, you know, what I talk about in the book is to sort of do it for yourself, of course, but also, you know, share your vision of the world with other people, regardless of what your subject matter is. Because, you know, it's it's when I teach sometimes, I'll ask students, you know, do they consider themselves kind of a shy person, which which I do. And photography has been my ticket. It's been my excuse to kind of dive into situations and 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 into life in general, in a way that has has been so fantastic, has been so rewarding, has been so educational. Um, for a shy person, it's it's allowed me to meet all these extraordinary people. And um, so so the passion fire just keeps getting fed the more i I get into it. And that's why, um, you know, there is no end in sight. And that's why photographers never retire, really. I mean, if you're doing the kind of work that uh, is personal, um, you're always going to be shooting. And, and and when you can find things that you're passionate about wanting to uh, capture, it's going to just ramp up um, the quality of the work that you're making because you're going to spend more time in it. You're going to start to look at it. In terms of a project and how you can put it together. Because I also talk about how you know, the, the sum is greater than the parts. Each individual image needs to be strong. But sometimes when you put them together, they're, they're, they're even much stronger. And, and the journey from the beginning of that first photo to the last photo in the exhibition or the book or the essay or the multimedia piece, whatever it might be, um, says something that uh, the individual photos themselves can't really do. Yeah.
0: Well, the last question I always ask is that I asked a photographer to recommend another photographer, and it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you have recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be for you and why?
1: Gosh, you know, there, there, are, there are so many photographers, um, and, and I know and you know that it's, it's hard to kind of narrow down. But the one person that does pop into my brain, because, uh, and that would be um, Joseph Kadelka. Who's the great Magnum photographer? For a number of reasons, I mean, you know, just heroically, I heard him quoted as saying, I think he's about seventy or seventy-one or seventy-two, that these days he's shooting because he can, and basically, when he gets older and he can't shoot as much anymore, then he'll start to edit his his work. Mm. I, I love that idea because, you know, if there's one weakness, and I talk too about strengths and weaknesses that I have, is that I'm not really shooting enough. Because I do know that when I go out shooting, I get stuff. But if I'm not shooting, obviously I'm not making pictures. And I I, I need to sort of take that inspiration and, and, you know, shoot more. But when I looked at Kadelka's work, I know he they're reissue, reissuing uh, Gypsies, I believe, which is uh, one of his seminal volumes. Uh, his book called Exiles is a fantastic book. I mean, I love all his his work. There's a, a mystery and a magic to his work that I tried to figure out. Like, what is it about it? Is, it? is it the, you know, or was it the palette of Eastern Europe where he works? Or is it the man himself as to how he approaches it? And I kind of realized that um, it's probably a combination of both. And, and you know, he rejected photographing people in the last few years and he was doing these amazing panoramic black and white landscapes and you know his signature mystery and 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 magic was embedded in each of those images as well so uh you know he's kind of inspirational the other guy i should mention too is eugene richards the great photojournalist who gets in so close to his subjects and uh is just an uh, amazing photographer so I'll, i'll say those two guys
0: oh great well, where can people find out more about all the things that you're doing?
1: Well, um, I have a, a website that's in progress. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to revamp it. It's stevesimonphoto.com. And uh, to go with the book, The Passionate Photographer, I'm going to introduce a blog, uh, hopefully uh, before Christmas, uh, called The Passionate Photographer, thepassionatephotographer.com. I don't have to tell you. It's just there's so many things. Uh, being a, a one man band photographer, that uh, a lot of this important stuff has has not um, been given the attention that it deserves. But but I'm hoping to to get that going. And and I'm just recently you know joined Google Plus. Uh, uh, a couple of people uh, convinced me that that might be a good thing to do, and I just played with it actually this morning, and it looks like a fun place to do. You know, there's so many opportunities for photographers and social media that it can basically swallow you up and, uh, you know, until you're really kind of wasting a lot of time. So I've, <laughs> I've got to figure that one out a little bit and, and put my you know, energy in, and limit my energy in those areas, but also you know, make it uh, worthwhile.
0: Well, thank you for appearing on the show and best of luck not only with the book but all your your work in the future.
1: Well, thanks. It's it's been a great uh, great great to be here with you.
0: Thanks for joining me. Please spread the word on the show and also consider making a donation to help support the program. You can find a donation button on the blog. Any amount helps greatly. If you have any comments, please email me at thecandidframe at gmail.com or post a message on the blog at thecandidframe.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and Google+. The editor for this episode is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. And this is Ibarián X Pirello, and this is The Candid Frame.